Welcome to the Marion Road Christian Church Podcast. Marion Road exists to glorify God through worship, sharing the good news, making and developing disciples, and serving others. And as we are preparing ourselves for that weekend to celebrate the death and the resurrection of Jesus, we have been making our way through this sermon series that we have called Liberated, where we've been tracing this theme that we see across the story of Scripture of God liberating his people, delivering them out of slavery to sin and death and into life with him. And so far in this series, we've looked at the story of the Exodus, that, that story where all these themes get introduced of God setting his people free as they're in slavery in Egypt and, and bringing them out to make them his people. We saw them give God give his people the assurance of his presence with them. We saw him give them, give them the law for how his people are called to live so that they might show the rest of the world who God is and what life with him looks like. We saw how God gives us today that same assurance of his presence, the same calling to reflect his glory. We looked last week at God's plans for kingship, God's plans to raise up someone to lead his people, a king, a leader, who would be far different from what any other earthly king or leader tends to look like, but would embody all that God desires for his people as as that king led God's people into his purposes for them. And we saw how Jesus fulfills all of that. He is the king of that we've been looking for that God has promised, and faithfulness to those promises. God works patiently with his people so they might know him and know who he's calling them to be. And that's what we've covered up to this point in this series. And, and up to this point, you might have thought or noticed as, as I was summarizing that even now, that all of those themes of liberation are on a very broad scale. They're, they're, they're national in scope, if I can put it that way. I mean, God frees Israel from slavery. He gives them the law for how they are to live. His presence comes to dwell in their midst. He tells of plans to raise up a king to lead them. I mean, these are all plans for a large group, as they should be. But in the midst of a large group, it might lead us to wonder how we fit within. Uh, if, if we're speaking of a forest, how does this affect one individual tree? You've maybe had the experience of working on a project at work or school or you've been volunteering somewhere and you've wondered like how essential am I really for this like if I just left right now would anyone notice that I'm gone does this would that affect anything would things carry on as normal and maybe we hear these stories of liberation and God doing these things for all of his people and we wonder yeah okay that happened a long time ago that happened through Jesus that happens for all God's people but how does it work for me if that's what we've wondered, that the passage of scripture we're going to look at today, I think takes those themes of liberation and personalizes them a little more. Just because the scenario of the Exodus is not necessarily our own life experience, just because you've never experienced being uh, literally in slavery and literally being set free, that doesn't mean that these themes of liberation, these themes of deliverance are not for us. I think one of the lies of our world that gets exposed when we take the time to look closely at Easter is the lie that we can get through it on our own. Uh, We live in a world that says, you know, you can figure most things out on your own. We aspire to be self-made people. We say things like, you know, there's always a YouTube video. There's always a book you can read. And once once you just spend a little bit of time with that, then you'll have life figured out. 
then you'll be able to fix whatever problem it is on your own, and then you can move forward, and you don't have to, have to rely on anyone else. You can just, just take solace in the fact that you are a self-made person, and Easter tells us that that is not the case. Easter tells us that, that we were in bondage. We were enslaved to sin and death, and we were not able to free ourselves. The story of Easter tells us that we need someone to come and liberate us. Maybe it's a liberation from sin. Maybe it's from secret addiction. Maybe we need liberation from despair, from the lie that the weight of the world rests on our shoulders and I have to fix it all on my own. Maybe we need liberated from the lie that, that if I just try a little harder, then I can be good enough on my own. Whatever it is, whatever tyrant that rules over us, whatever lies we buy into that, that we find ourselves being oppressed by, we can know that the God who liberates desires to liberate us. That on a personal level, God is calling each of us to experience this life. He's calling us into life with him. And because that is who our God is, we respond by stepping into that liberation and we praise him, we worship him as a result. And that is the focus of the passage of Scripture we're going to walk through today. We're going to walk through all of Psalm 107 this morning. If you have a Bible and wanted to open it up there, the words will be up on the screen. But this psalm begins with the first three verses with a call to worship. This is a song that God's people were supposed to sing and worship together. And it begins with that call. It says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Those he redeemed from the hand of the foe. Those he gathered from the lands from east and west, from north and south. Psalm 107 begins by saying those who have been redeemed by God, those who have been set free, those who have been liberated and stepped into this life God desires for them are called to tell their story, are called to proclaim what God has done for them so that then all those listeners can hear who God is, can hear how God has worked, can celebrate what he has done, can praise him for it and step into that life for themselves. The next section of this psalm, the first major section of this psalm, walks through a bunch of scenarios where that applies. Walks through four scenarios where someone is liberated and is called to praise God as a result. The first one comes starting in verse 4. The psalm, some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. They were hungry and thirsty and their lives ebbed away. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he delivered them from their distress. He led them by a straight way to a city where they could settle. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. For he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. In the ancient world, a desert means death and a city means life. I mean, in a desert, there's no water, there's no shade, there's nothing to sustain you. Cities tend to pop up in places where you can at least live for some period of time. There's resources, there's people that can provide for you, there's merchants that can sell you things that you need. You can know you're safe when you're inside the walls of a city from any intruders that or invaders that might come. A desert means fear. A desert means isolation. A desert means despair. A city means security. Uh, the nation of Israel knew this from their own experience. After God frees them from Egypt, they spent 40 years in the wilderness, in the desert, wandering. It was a journey that was supposed to take just a few weeks, but because of their rebellion against God, they spent 40 years 
wandering in the wilderness, waiting for the day when, when they could enter into these cities of security and hope and peace. And through that time, Israel's consistently rebellious. They consistently question Moses. They question God. They, they reject what God has told them to do. They will make comments like, maybe we should just go back to Egypt. Weren't we better off when we were living in slavery in Egypt? And yet through all that time, God continues to provide for them. Every day, God will send them food miraculously. Every day, God will sustain them. He will ensure their clothes do not wear out. He is faithful to them. He's molding them into his people so that they might step into this promised land where there are cities where they can settle. God did not abandon his people in the wilderness, but slowly and patiently them into his purposes for them. And for that reason, those that have experienced that provision are called to praise God. Because when all hope was lost, God was there. When they did not know where to go, God made a way. And for that reason, God is worthy of praise. Next scenario starts in verse 10. It says, some sat in darkness, in utter darkness, prisoners suffering in iron chains, because they rebelled against God's commands and despised the plans of the Most High. So he subjected them to bitter labor. They stumbled and there was no one to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness, the utter darkness, and broke away their chains. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. For he breaks down gates of bronze and cuts through bars of iron. The second scenario you can see as we read is someone trapped in prison, but it's because they have rebelled against God. They knew what God had said, yet they decided to go their own way, but that did not mean they were able to get away from God. They did not get outside God's jurisdiction or out from under his authority. He is still the God of all things. He has still created all things to function in a certain way, and humanity doesn't find flourishing by walking away from God's desires. Whatever else we find apart from the authority of God will always at best be a cheap cheap imitation of what God desired for us. And the people, the scenario described here is someone who has walked away from God and experienced the consequences of that. At some point along the way, they were imprisoned, chains keeping them in place every day. They were subjected to forced labor with no help, no hope of freedom. But when they had exhausted all of their options, They cried out to God, and God set them free. Even though the situation they were in was a direct result of their rejection of God, that did not mean they were beyond God's reach. When they repented, when they called out to him, he came and set them free. God's discipline of his people did not equal the abandonment of his people. God works so that they might know him, so that they might cry out to him, so that they might experience his deliverance. And these verses aren't saying that God makes bad things happen so that we will learn a lesson and then he will come and help us after we've learned it. The point is that when we cry out to God, he hears us, he comes to us every single time. No matter how far we've run away, no matter what we've done to cause it, this is who our God is. And for that reason, he's worthy of praise. 
third scenario comes in verse 17. It says, Some became fools through their rebellious ways and suffered affliction because of their iniquities. They loathed food and drew near the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Let them sacrifice thank offerings and tell of his works with songs of joy. This scenario is pretty similar, for being honest, to the, to the second one that we just looked at. Because you have someone suffering, and they're suffering because of their rebellion against God. But here we see that the situation's maybe a little more dire, and, and we see that the situation has caused them to become foolish. That point is made there. That because of their rebellion against God, they are no longer wise. And this is how sin always works. Sin works at the beginning of the story. In, in the third chapter of Genesis, when the serpent tempts Adam and Eve, the serpent comes to Adam and Eve with this promise of eat from this fruit and you'll have your eyes open, you'll be wise, you'll be like God, everything will be great. Sin always makes these grand promises of how wonderful life will be if we just walk away from what God has said. And the result of that instead is that Adam and Eve and all humanity, all creation ever since has been subjected to the tyrant of sin and death. Sin always makes these grand promises and always leaves us worse off, always leaves us foolish. In the first chapter of Romans, Paul is describing the sinful state of our world, and in the midst of that, he makes this interesting statement in verse 22, as he's describing people who have walked away from God. He says, although they claim to be wise, they became fools. And that's how it always works. We always think we know better. We always think we've got something figured out. We always think that now I've gotten enlightenment. I can move beyond the commands of God. I can have this new way of seeing the world, a new and better way of living. And it always ends with us being broken and lost. Just this week, I was having a conversation with a friend of mine in ministry, and he had been having a rough week working with someone who was making a mess of their life, or making bad decisions, were walking away from from God's desires for them and as a result they were hurting themselves they were hurting their family causing all sorts of problems and my friend said to me man I don't know sin just makes you stupid and that's maybe not a direct quote from the Bible but I think it's accurate that's how it always works the story hasn't changed and God is not surprised by this but what might we mut Excuse me, but what might we expect him to do? I mean, we have someone in this situation that Psalm 107 describes. They have willfully walked away from God to such a degree and for such a long period of time that they are in a situation where they are near death, and they are near death because they've rejected God, and then they decide to reach out to him. I mean, what might we expect? That God would be annoyed, frustrated, Maybe do the right thing, but drag his feet along the way to, in, to draw out the pain as long as possible. Maybe to say, well, you've made your bed, now it's time to lay in it. I don't know what we might expect, but that is not what these verses describe. When the person cries out to God here, God comes and he brings immediate healing. He takes them out of the mess that they have made for themselves. 
so that they can be brought back to the life God desired for them all along. And this is who our God is. And for that reason, he is worthy of our praise. We get one more scenario. It says, some went out on the sea in ships. They, they were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunkards. They were at their wit's end. And they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. And he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The ways of the sea were hushed. They were glad when it grew calm and he guided them to their desired haven. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Let them exalt him in the assembly of the people and praise him in the council of the elders. In the ancient world where you don't have forecasts to watch the weather, you are always at your most vulnerable when you are out on the water. And we can maybe resonate in, a, in some ways because even though we can check the weather really at any time we want, we still can't control it. I mean, if you get up in the morning and you have to drive somewhere and you see in the forecast that there's snow on the way later in the day, that might affect your plans for the day. But if you decide to go out anyways and think you can maybe get home before the snow hits and then the snow comes earlier or it comes down more than they forecasted, like when you're out stuck on the highway, you can't make it stop snowing. You're kind of at the mercy of the weather. And when you're out on the water, if you're out there, you're at the mercy of whatever happens. When a storm blows up, there's no stopping the storm. You're simply there to ride it out as best you can. And so for that reason, in the thinking of the ancient world, when you read through the Bible, the sea represents chaos that you cannot control. You are completely dependent when you are out on the water on the control of God. And that's what the people in these verses are experiencing. Uh, you have people out on sea, on the sea in ships. They're, they're traveling for business, it seems. So that would maybe make us think that they've, they're experienced. They know what they're doing. They've been out here before. But for whatever reason, a storm blows up and there is nothing they can do. They're completely overwhelmed. They're in awe. They're in terror as they watch the waves crashing around them. They think this is it. We're going to sink. We're going to drown. We're completely out of hope. And then they cry out to God. And when they do, the storm becomes a whisper. The waves cease. They make it easily to their destination. God has saved them from this force of nature, and for that reason they are called to praise him because he is the one true God who holds authority over all things, the only one who can be trusted, the only one who is to be worshipped, the only one who can bring liberation. And Psalm 107 walks through all those four scenarios to show us this is who our God is. You've probably figured out the pattern by now but just in case you haven't you see that in all of them we have someone a group of people in trouble maybe because of their own doing maybe because of circumstance maybe because they've rebelled against God but in each situation they are at the moment where they are completely out of hope they cry out to God and he delivers them and those that have been delivered are called to praise God as a result there are plenty of psalms when you read through them where there are refrains given throughout. But Psalm 107 is a little unique because we get these two refrains working together at the same time. We get the first one that is, you know, they cried out to the Lord in trouble and he saved them from their distress. We get 
each of those scenarios. And then we get the second refrain that they should praise the Lord as a result. It's phrased a little differently or, or doesn't come through exactly like that each time. But, but we have those two refrains working back and forth as we go through each of these scenarios. We have God saving his people when they cry out to him. And we have all to praise him as a result. We have a story of God's liberation and then a call to respond with worship. That is who our God is. That is what we've been called to do and to be. God desires to liberate his people into life with him. And the next section of this psalm zooms out a little bit to summarize all of these things and praise God for it all. Picking up in verse 33, it says, he turned, God turned rivers into a desert, flowing springs into thirsty ground, and fruitful land into a salt waste because of the wickedness of those who lived there. He turned the desert into pools of water and the parched ground into flowing springs. There he brought the hungry to live, and they founded a city where they could settle. They sowed fields and planted vineyards that yielded a fruitful harvest. He blessed them, and their numbers greatly increased, and he did not let their herds diminish. Then their numbers decreased, and they were humbled by oppression, calamity, and sorrow. He who pours contempt on nobles made them wander in a trackless waste. He lifted the needy out of their affliction and increased their families like flocks. The upright see and rejoice, but all the wicked shut their mouths. The power of God turns things upside down for those who trust in him because God controls all things. I mean, taking something apart and then remodeling it, remaking it into something different, takes a great deal of skill and care and expertise from the person doing it. I mean, you could basically anyone could take apart anything if you gave them enough time and motivation and a big enough hammer, probably. You could take that thing apart. But it takes someone who actually knows what they're doing to not only take something apart, but put it back together and make it into something different. You have to take it apart in a certain way and put it back together in a certain way to make it into what it is designed to be. It takes someone with great control, great skill, great knowledge of what is happening. And that's my best attempt to try to summarize what this psalm is emphasizing in these verses. That God understands what he is doing. He controls all things and therefore he raises up his people. He he cares for them And for those who oppose him, he brings punishment and desolation. He turns flourishing land into desert and vice versa in these verses. And for those who trust in him, he brings flourishing when they walk with him. And that is the pattern we see across scripture. God is opposed to the proud. He's opposed to those who think they don't need him, those who think they're just fine on their own. But for those who recognize they are lost apart from him, for those who admit they have no hope apart from God, he comes to them every time, meeting them in their desperation so that they might know the care and the provision of God. And the God who liberates, the God who is near when his people cry out to him, the God who desires that his people would experience life with him is still active today, and we can be confident that he desires the same thing for us because he sent his son, Jesus. Jesus brings the liberation God desires for us. We're told in Luke chapter 4 and in other places, but I'm going to focus in on Luke. We're told in Luke chapter 4 
that at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he is baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist, and then he goes out into the wilderness for 40 days. Just like how Israel spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness, Jesus will spend 40 days out in the desert. And at the end of that time, Satan comes to him and tempts him, tempts him to short-circuit the process, so to speak, tempts him to take control, to take power for himself without having to go through the cross, and Jesus rejects that. Jesus is faithful in the wilderness when Israel was not which shows us he is here to bring us something greater. He is here to lead God's people into the life God has always desired for them. Right after that, Jesus begins his public ministry. He goes into a synagogue, uh, into a worship service in his hometown. He gets up, he reads from the Old Testament. He reads this passage from Isaiah 61 that speaks of God sending someone who will come to bring liberation A passage that says, God will send someone who will proclaim good news to the poor, freedom for prisoners, sight for the blind, who will set the oppressed free, who will proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And Jesus reads that passage and he says that it's about him. That he has come to do all of that. To bring good news to the poor, to set people free from prison, to bring sight to the blind, to bring flourishing for those being oppressed. Jesus has come to bring the liberation. Psalm 107 was celebrating God doing in the past, only now it is here and it is greater. Later in the story in Luke chapter 8, Jesus will come across a man possessed by demons. And we're never told exactly what happened for this man to land in this situation. We don't know if he's suffering because of his own choices, because of some other reason. We simply know that he is suffering. We're told that he's living among the tombs. That more than once they have tried to chain him down, to bind him, to keep him from being a threat to himself and to others. But he keeps breaking the chains. He's completely isolated, completely on his own, cutting himself with stones. uh, So out of his own mind that he's not even wearing clothes. And he confronts Jesus and Jesus heals him. And we're told in the story that when the people of the village come out and they see what has happened, they see that this man that they have only known to be completely insane, sitting at Jesus' feet, clothed and in his right mind. And all the people that see this immediately get afraid. And they they actually ask Jesus to leave. Because they know how powerful this guy is. They know what he's capable of. They've been witnessing it maybe for years. And whoever Jesus is, he must be more powerful than that. And we don't want any part of that. So they ask Jesus to leave. And as he's leaving, uh, the man that he's healed comes to Jesus and asks asks Jesus if he can go with him, can become one of his followers. And Jesus tells the man to stay there. He says, go home. And go around all the surrounding villages and proclaim what I've done for you. In other words, if we can phrase it this way, Jesus asked this man to embody Psalm 107, to go home, to tell the story of how you have been liberated, and tell it to others so that they might know who God is and might step into this life as well. And right before that story, Jesus and his disciples are crossing the Sea of Galilee in a boat, and Jesus falls asleep. As he's asleep, a a storm blows up. His disciples wake him up because even the ones amongst the group that are experienced fishermen that have been on the Sea of Galilee their entire life, they do not know what to do. They think this is it. This storm is going to flip the boat over. They're all going to drown, and they can't figure out why Jesus is asleep. They they wake Jesus up. They say, don't you even care? Can't you at least get a bucket and help us bail some water? Can't you do something? And Jesus gets up, 
I have to assume probably still a little groggy, and tells the waves and the wind to be still, and immediately the storm stops. And it's interesting when you read the text, because we don't get any words in the story about how the disciples are feeling. We can assume when you're in a storm that you think is going to lead to you drowning that you're probably scared, but the text never tells us that. But after Jesus stops the storm, we're told that the disciples are terrified. I, I have to wonder if they know, if they're thinking of Psalm 107 in that moment. Because Psalm 107 says only God can calm the waters. When you're out at sea and a storm blows up, you are completely dependent upon God saving you. And now, this person standing in the boat has just calmed the storm. The person they are in the boat with is doing things that only God is supposed to be able to do. And I tell you all those four little snapshots briefly to show us that Jesus time and time again, does the things that Psalm 107 says are done by God. So if we're tracking along with the logic of Psalm 107, we see that the only proper response when things like this happen is to fall down and worship the God who controls all things and desires to set us free for life with him. The response we are called to, the response in the last verse of this psalm, which we're going to read here in just a second, tells us that this is not just a response to sing. It is not just a response for Sundays. It is not just a response for this building. It involves every part of who we are to remember what God has done and step into life with him. The last verse of the psalm tells us, let the one who is wise heed these things and ponder the loving deeds of the Lord. This psalm gives us lots of examples of foolishness, of people striking out on their own and running into trouble as a result. But if we see the whole psalm, we see that this story does not have to be our story. Wisdom comes by learning from these examples, by confessing our inability to save ourselves, by renouncing our efforts to be good enough on our own. True wisdom comes from crying out to the God who wants to bring liberation. Because of his love for us, because of his faithfulness to his people, we can know that he still desires to liberate us, and that is a cause for celebration. We proclaim what God has done, and we respond by stepping into the life he desires for us. Because the God of the Exodus, the God of Psalm 107, the God Jesus reveals to us still works in the same way today, which means... That even as we confess our own imperfections and failures, we can be confident that he will liberate us as he promises to do. I don't know your life story. I don't know what you've experienced in the last week. I don't know what you will experience in the next week. I don't know what kind of mess you might be dealing with. If it's a mess you've made for yourself or one someone else has created and dropped in your lap. I don't know if you're trying really hard to figure life out on your own right now. I don't know if you're trying to away from God as fast as you can as you hear my voice right now, but I know that God desires life for you with him. And I know that whatever you are going through, God wants to liberate you so that you can take hold of that life. And if that's you, if you're struggling with that, if you're wrestling with what finding life with God looks like, I want you to know that this is a safe place where you can find people 
and resources to come alongside where you are right now so that you can step into a deeper life with God. And we gather here for worship because of our belief that God liberates, and so we do what Psalm 107 tells us to do. We remember what God has done. We praise him for what he has done, and we go out proclaiming that goodness and faithfulness. So participate in that story for yourselves. Come experience this life of liberation. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your goodness and your faithfulness to us, that you hear us when we cry out to you, that you come near to us uh, when you are our only hope and help. You draw us near so that we might be set free. So God, we ask that you would give us wisdom, as, this, as Psalm 107 tells us to do, give us wisdom to know what that looks like. For each and every one of us, God, we are figuring this out for ourselves and as a physical families as church as a church family so god we need your presence among us to step into that life so whatever those next steps are for each and every one of us god give us clarity on what that is give us wisdom and faithfulness on how to do it well so that above all else we might know you and as we know you as we are transformed by you we hand that off to others as well so in all things you might receive the glory, in all things you might receive the praise. We give you all of it for all time. In the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. We hope that you were encouraged and challenged by this message given by our own senior pastor, Monty French.